1: 1 Peter 4, verse 17 says, For it is time for the judgment to begin from the house of God. And if first from us, what will be the end of those who disobey the gospel of God? The judgment spoken of in this verse surely cannot be the judgment for eternal perdition reserved for those who disobey the gospel. What, then, does the judgment of the believers spoken of in the New Testament refer to? Well, we will explore this and the big topic of God's dispensational judgment in our life study from 1 Peter. And Bob Danker is with us for this program. Bob, we've uh, been a couple of days here on this general topic. Uh, Today we will cover some of the ground we've already touched in the last couple of days but we felt that it was important to have a kind of a good conclusion or a good summary this is a big topic it's as we've been pointing out it's not well understood and actually what we're presenting in these life study messages is not the most common
2: or most popular thought these days is it that's right chris i think many believers are not absolutely clear concerning this matter of god's judgment actually the bible is filled with this matter From beginning to end, God has a universal government in this universe, and He governs the universe, especially the affairs of men on the earth, including His own people, and also those who do not believe in Christ. And He uses His judgment on His own household and on the unbelieving peoples to carry out His particular purpose for the fulfillment of his heart's desire. So this is a great subject, as you said, Chris, in the Scriptures, and it's marvelous if we could have a clear understanding of this matter. You know, when many believers
1: hear this kind of talk, Bob, right away they see a conflict or a tension between what we all accept as absolute non-negotiable truth, and that is the effectiveness of the shed blood of christ assuming our role and taking upon him the judgment that was really due us as related to our eternal destiny with god and what we're presenting in no way undermines that weakens that lessens that waters that down there is a judgment that he bore for us that we could never bear and that's not the judgment we're talking about when we talk about the judgment
2: of the believers is it that's right chris god's judgment is really of two kinds one is for man's eternal destiny. And once we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ with a genuine faith, we pass out of that judgment. Our salvation, which we receive from the Lord, is eternal. But God's judgment has another aspect and that is dispensational or temporary judgment to perfect those who believe in Christ let me just take another moment because I think
1: we've come to the real crux of the matter that that we want to open up. You mentioned, Bob, there are these two aspects of God's judgment. And because these two have been confused or misunderstood, we end up with, it seems like in uh, Christendom, kind of two extremes that are competing you know, for popularity during different generations. The kind of Calvinist thought that there is just the one judgment, Christ bore it, and therefore after that, uh, Christians would never suffer any kind of judgment. Uh, those on the other side who see these verses related to the judgment of the believers and somehow then interpret that as meaning, well, then maybe our salvation is not eternal and secure. Maybe it is conditional. And so you have the Arminian and you have the Calvinist. And uh, But the truth of Scripture uh, really embraces elements from both, but really presents something fresh. And that's what we're attempting to do, isn't it? That's
2: right, Chris. We're attempting to look at the pure revelation of the Scriptures, which is the, uh, the only basis for truth, for us believers in Christ.
1: Bob, we read uh, at the very opening First Peter 4.17, so we, we realize Peter obviously spent much time writing about judgment related to God's people, but not exclusively Peter in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul in a number of places, but we'll pick one here because Witness Lee will refer to it in this portion, and that's in First Corinthians chapter 11, verses 31 and 32. Paul says, but if we discern ourselves, we would not be judged. But being judged by the Lord, we are disciplined that we may not be condemned with the world. That's talking to us, the church, the believers, isn't it? That's right, Chris. Okay, let's join Witness Lee, and then we'll come back to uh, spend more time talking about this big subject of God's discipline and God's judgment.
3: First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 31. But if we discern ourselves, that means we judge ourselves first, we should not be judged. Have you seen this kind of judgment? Verse 32 But when we are judged by the Lord, when we, the believers, the Christians, the lovers of Christ, are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined that we may not be condemned with the world. And the condemnation to the world is for eternal perdition. But the judgment we are serving today is not for eternal perdition, but dispensational discipline. Don't be a kind of ignorant Christian like today so many Christians are. When they hear oh, a dead. oh, we have been redeemed. We could never be judged. That's heresy. This is not heretical. This is the Holy Word teaching. The Apostle Paul taught this, and Peter too. So, you have to forget, you have to drop all what you heard from the past. You have to take the pure word, which tells us clearly God under his government, in order to carry out his universal administration, he has different kinds of judgment. All the time, he is exercising his judgment. Don't think he's not judging the world. He's judging. He's judging everywhere. Every nation is under his judgment. And he will have a final judgment. At the Lord's coming back, the Lord will be commissioned to judge the living countries, living nations, according to the record of Matthew 25. Then at the end of the millennium, the Lord will be commissioned to judge on the white throne. That is, to judge the living and to judge the dead. In between of these two judgments, there will be a thousand years, the millennium.
1: Bob, what's introduced here is this whole idea, a variety of judgments, different categories of judgments, different kinds of judgment. We just had him refer to um, the judgment that takes place at the beginning of the millennium where the nations are judged. And in Matthew 25, this is called the the throne of glory, right? Or the judgment seat of glory. Uh, There's at least two other judgment seats that are referred to in the New Testament. And these are not interchangeable, are they? They all refer to something very specific.
2: Yes, there's another judgment seat uh, mentioned by Paul in Second Corinthians chapter five and verse ten, and there Paul says, again speaking to the believers, to the Christians, we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is a very clear word that when the Lord comes back, He will set up a judgment seat, at which He will judge His believers, not for eternal perdition, but for reward or discipline during the millennium during the 1000 years uh, that's mentioned clearly in revelation chapter 20 the lord will judge his believers based upon the way in which they live their christian life after they were saved so there will be a judgment at the lord's coming for believers and as witness lee mentioned There will be a judgment at the Lord's coming for the unbelieving nations who are still alive at that time. The Lord will set up his throne of glory. This is clearly spoken of in Matthew 25. He will judge to set the goats on his left hand and the sheep on his right hand. Yeah. And there'll be particular consequences related to both of these categories of people. So the Lord will carry out a judgment there. Then at the end of the millennium, the Lord will judge the dead unbelievers at the great white throne. These dead unbelievers, of course, will not receive anything positive. They will receive eternal perdition as the consequence of the Lord's judgment. So we see that the Lord has specific times in which he judges both the believers and the unbelievers. But here in 1 Peter, he's speaking of the continual judgment or discipline or chastening that God exercises on his own household, on the believers in Christ, in the New Testament, and as we read the Old Testament, we can see God carried out his discipline continually on the people of Israel who did not cooperate with him In the carrying out of his economy. So God's purpose in his judging or disciplining of his believers, whether it's during their lifetime or at the judgment seat of Christ, is not to assign them an eternal destiny. But it is to discipline them temporarily so that they may be perfected. And ultimately, they will be the components of the holy city, the new Jerusalem. So in the New Testament, we have these three specific thrones of
1: judgment that are set up related to the various categories of people prior to the millennium, one for the living unbelievers, the living nations, one for all the believers, the judgment seat of Christ that you talked about from 2 Corinthians. And then at the end of the millennium, another throne of judgment, the great white throne that's spoken of in Revelation 2. 20. We're going to talk about that in this coming portion. So all the peoples are taken care of here by these three. But plus to all of this is the continual judgment that Peter's talking about, specifically in his book, related to this day-by-day kind of chastening, loving discipline that the Lord exercises over his people to really
2: purify us. That's right, Chris. The goal of God's disciplinary judgment on his own people is altogether positive, and it comes absolutely out of his love. And as both Peter and Paul pointed out, the purpose of this disciplinary judgment is so that God's people will be separated from the unbelieving and disobedient peoples and will not have any portion with them. They will be separated absolutely unto God's positive eternal purpose. Let's look at these
1: verses in Revelation. This is the great white throne judgment seat. Really the judgment related to eternal perdition, the one which we as believers will have no part in and need not fear. In chapter 20 of Revelation verses 11 and 12, and I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose face earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne and scrolls were opened, and another scroll was opened, which is the Book of Life, and the dead were judged by the things which were written in the scrolls according to their works. But we, Bob, will find that our names are already etched in the Book of Life, aren't they? All right, here's Witness Lee again.
3: At the beginning, before the millennium, that was the judgment over all the living nations. By that time, all the Gentiles are still living, the Lord will gather them to his throne of glory to be judged. Now this is mentioned clearly in Matthew 25. Then at the end of millennium, the white throne will be set up, and the Lord Jesus will judge all the dead. Dead judgment is called the judgment for eternal perdition. We, the saved ones, will never have any share in that kind of judgment. Don't be afraid of that. We've been saved. We've been saved. We have been passed over. God has passed over us for that eternal perdition through Christ being our Passover Lamb. But don't think we pass through that then we have no problem. Don't think that way. Now. We are just like the children of Israel. They passed through the Passover, right? They got redeemed by the Lamb. And they enjoyed the heavenly manna. And they enjoyed the living water out of the rock. And they have seen so many miracles God did for them. But out of two million, only two persons were left, not judged by God to die. All the rest, including Moses, Mary, Aaron, right, all died under God's judgment. That didn't mean they were under God's curse. No, no. They were under God's what? Dispensational, disciplinary judgment. It's not for eternal perdition. God has a purpose. I'd like to help you to come back to the clear and pure word, which is so unveiling, so enlightening. And this has been condemned for years. Purgatory and this and that. This is nonsense. Still. This is absolutely different from purgatory. Amen. I hope that you know what is purgatory. That is a kind of heretical teaching. But to teach the this plenary judgment is all together scriptural. This is not a kind of purgatory. Now you can see we have to fear God.
1: Well, I think we... uh... At least we're honest uh, at the beginning of the program and said this is not the common nor the most popular teaching or interpretation of these
2: verses, but one that's really hard to escape if we come to the pure word, isn't it, Bob? That's right, Chris. We have to accept, according to the pure word of the Bible, that God judges his own household. That means Christians. That means us, the believers, not for eternal perdition. We've already passed that judgment. God has passed over us mm-hmm. because we have received Christ as the Passover Lamb. We've received his redemption, and now this Christ indwells us. So we can never face the judgment at the great white throne, but we will be disciplined during the course of our Christian life by our loving Father. Paul pointed this out in Hebrews chapter 12. He said, Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, or chastens. And he scourges every son whom he receives. This speaks of God's disciplining of his children in his love. For what purpose? For their perfecting. Although we are saved, although we have Christ living in us, we have many things in our lives that are not according to God. In a sense, our situation is a kind of a mixed situation. So God wants to purify us, and here in First Peter chapter 4 and verse 12, Peter refers to a fiery ordeal or a fiery trial that comes to us. This kind of a fiery trial is like the fire in a furnace that purifies gold from any kind of mixture, any kind of dross. So God's intention is to purify us, to make us holy, absolutely different from the people of the world, absolutely the same as he is. And in order to carry out this very positive intention in his love, he needs to discipline his own children. This is what Peter's referring to. This is what Paul referred to. And we need to respect this matter because it reveals so clearly in the Scriptures. And as Witness Lee said, we need to live in the light of this kind of revelation from the Bible.
1: You know, as we talked earlier in this life study, Peter was a person who experienced a lot of kinds of judging as he went along, even after the Lord had received him, counted him among the apostles, and was really discipling him or disciplining him all the way along. So by the time Peter gets to this stage in his life and his ministry, this is not theoretical to him, is it?
2: Absolutely not. Peter himself had passed through much of God's disciplinary judgment.
1: And we see something here in these epistles that really gives evidence to that. He is far more pure, if we could say that. I think we see the mixture early on in the Gospels, even in the book of Acts, and in you know even in the account in the epistles of Peter's life, good and bad, this mixture. But when we come now to Peter, there's been a lot of purification,
2: a lot of purifying burning away of the dross, hasn't there? That's marvelous, Chris. Peter was so pure he could write two books of the Bible
1: well Bob we have a just a short section left that we want to kind of change directions seemingly but it is related as Peter was writing these things of course he was writing it with the view that the Lord was coming back soon to affect these various judgments on his people so Peter's writing with some urgency of course we now look back and say 2,000 years has gone by and still the throne of glory has not been set up The uh, judgment seat of Christ has not yet been set up. And uh, sometimes we wonder, when we read the writings in the Bible, the time elements are maybe not so clearly defined, but I think we're going to hear a marvelous explanation for that in this coming portion. And I thought it was a good one to add to our program today.
3: In the mind of the early apostles, Peter, John, and Paul, you read the New Testament, they believed that the Lord Jesus in their time would come back. They were before two peaks, mountain peaks. You see, one peak is the Pentecostal day. The Lord poured out his spirit, pour out his grace to save people. The Lord opened up the door, not only for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles to save all the sinners. They saw such a peak. And they also saw a peak of the Lord's coming. The Lord's coming right away following the Pentecostal grace. But they didn't see so clearly between the two peaks there is a gap, a long gap, a gap of about 2,000 years. Even Paul's writing indicates this. Paul did expect at his time the Lord would come back. But he was not clear because this matter has never been made clear to the early apostles. You know, when the early apostles asked of the Lord about the day of his coming, the Lord told them even the Lord himself didn't know. Only the Father knew this. And the Father kept these as a secret within him. Even he didn't let the son know. Even the Lord Jesus was not free to tell the disciples. So all the disciples only saw the two peaks. You know the story. When you look at the two peaks (laughs) far away, you couldn't see what is between the two peaks. In the picture, you see, nearly the two peaks are very close. Nearly these two are in one range. But actually, they are not in one range. In between them, there is a long gap, about 2,000 years.
1: Uh, of course, Bob, from our vantage point today, we can see that the gap
2: is at least 2,000 years, but still we don't know exactly uh, when these things will come to pass, do we? That's right, Chris. Actually, we can see the same thing in the prophecies of the Old Testament prophets. Right. As we're reading these Old Testament prophets, we come to sections of their prophecy when they speak clearly about Christ's first coming. And then almost in the same breath, they mention his second coming, as if they were not clear that there was a long gap between these two comings of Christ. And the early apostles were in the same kind of position. It was not revealed to them that there would be a 2,000-year gap between the Lord's first coming and the Lord's second coming. Their vantage point did not allow them to have a clear view of this gap between the two mountain peaks of these two comings of Christ. But now our viewpoint, we can see there is a long period of history between the Lord's first coming and his second coming. Now it's clear to us, but it wasn't clear to the Old Testament prophets nor to the early New Testament apostles.
1: As you consider this a phenomenon, I guess we could call it, and I think we've all experienced, especially if you've ever driven in the west around the Rockies or the Cascades or the Sierra, these great mountain ranges, you'll see these peaks that appear to be so uh, close as almost to be one mountain. And as your direction changes and you come around, you realize, oh, they're miles and miles apart. Uh, So we've experienced this. But it also seems to me, I'll just conjecture here, God's wisdom revealed, because had they realized in the early centuries that there was going to be this 2,000-year gap, the urgency may not have been there, but it causes all of us to live in the expectation
2: of the Lord's coming, doesn't it? That's very positive, Chris. We do need to live in the expectation that the Lord will come, and he will come soon. And as we have seen,
1: his judgment begins with the house of God. Bye bye. I, I, I feel very good that uh, we were able to have a good kind of a summary of these uh, different judgments and this whole big topic. Of course, we weren't able to get into all the details, but uh, I hope this is clear to our listeners. I hope they will contact us to get the printed life study messages, get into these verses, and, and really open this matter up. Uh, before the Lord in the light of his word because we all need to see clearly, as clearly as possible, don't we, on this important topic? We certainly do, Chris. Good to have you with us, Bob. I know you're a little under the weather, and I appreciate your coming in to help us out today. It's always a great pleasure. If you'd like to contact us to get the printed Life Study messages or even find out about how to get a recovery version with the marvelous footnotes that summarizes the main points in these Life Study messages and uh, develops these verses, call us toll-free, 888 study 888 543-3788 Join us again tomorrow We continue our life study of First Peter For Bob Danker, I'm Chris Wild Thanks very much for listening today
0: Witness Lee's remarkable commentary on the life of Abraham, taken from the life study of Genesis, is now available from Living Stream Ministry in a single volume entitled Abraham Called by God. Abraham Called by God by Witness Lee is available at Christian bookstores everywhere, or you can order by calling 1-888-543-3788.